0: Today we're actually going to be looking at um, fear and prayer. Um, I like to quote Buddy Buddha every now and then. Some of you who come here, uh, sorry, I should just say Buddha, Gautama Buddha, however you want to say it. I'm calling him Buddy Buddha today. Buddy Buddha's got some uh, some interesting ideas, and uh, he gets pretty close to some things. But this is probably an area where I think he's probably got things a little bit skewed, uh, and it fits in really well with the Buddhist philosophy. Um, Now some people say this may not have been Buddha but this has been published in books and it's been attributed to Buddha. Here's what Buddha actually says. He says the whole secret of existence is to have no fear. Never fear what will become of you. Depend on no one. Only the moment you reject all help are you freed. That fits in really well. We're not going to go into Buddhism but because that's the other team, right? We're not, we're not Team Buddha. But here's the thing. That's an interesting quote. I wonder what you'd actually think about that. Now, I think there's a lot of people who probably practically live that reality. Uh, especially that last phrase, only the moment you reject all help are you free. There's as, as a really strong drive toward independence and uh, a drive against dependence upon other people. And the question I've got to ask, I remember I had this conversation with this lady when I was doing my counselling training and she was an Anglican and she became a Buddhist. And uh, we're talking all about that. And um, she was telling me all about it and how hard it is. Because the whole idea of Nirvana is that you get to a point where you don't want anything, you see, you don't suffer anymore. Okay, that's what Nirvana is. And I'd asked her, I said, so how many people get to Nirvana? And it's like there's hardly any make it. I'm just going, that's got to be really depressing. Like there's millions of people in the world following this philosophy and very few people ever make it. That's, um, that's pretty negative. Uh, but she was going to go there anyway and that's cool. I didn't kind of beat her over the head or anything. I just thought it was really interesting. So today what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at a story from Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. Um, so if you've got a Bible that you want to read from or you've got, or you're short-sighted and you need to read from it because you can't read the text on the screen, you can get that out now. Uh, we're going to read a bit of a slab out of Second Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 4. And every time I get to a hard name, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you to pronounce it. No, I'm kidding, all right? It's all right. After this, though, see, <laughs> see, it wasn't hard. Anyway, I just better get on with it. And Ammonites, and with them some of the Eunites came against Jehoshaphat. My kids love this guy's name, right? They think fat's funny. So if you can say someone's name and it's got fat in it, they think that's really cool. So they said extreme fat or ultra... I don't know. They were starting to make up things about the name fat. They're going, really? You're preaching on a guy called Jehoshaphat? I'm just going, yes. It uh, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Haz- Hazazon Tamar, that is on Gedi, and Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And the answer is yes, he did. And Jehoshaphat, sorry. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence or famine, we will stand before the house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we'll cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession which you've given us to inherit. O our God will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I want to suggest to you this morning that uh, this story about Jehoshaphat in Second uh, Chronicles 20 tells, teaches us three things. The first thing it teaches us is that fear is a common human experience. The second thing it teaches us is that fear is truncated by prayer. And Jehoshaphat also teaches us about the kind of prayer that truncates fear. When you look at the first one here, fear is a common human experience. If you actually go and you read some of the chapters prior to 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat was a good man. He was the uh, the fourth king of Judah after... and he was the son of Asa. So what you've got is you've got David and then you've got Solomon and then Solomon's son's kind of messed it all up and the kingdom splits into the north and the south, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, and what you've got is you've got uh, the fourth uh, king of Judah is uh, King Jehoshaphat. King Asa was a good guy, uh, despite his name. Okay, he was, he was a really good guy. He wasn't an Asa. No, I shouldn't say that. i probably have to edit that out now, won't I? Um, he was a good guy all right and so the big deal is you've got this split with kings where you've got the good kings who deal with idolatry and help people to follow after God and then you've got the bad kings who just kind of encourage the idolatry Uh, and what you've got in Jehoshaphat is you've got a king who's dealing with this stuff check this out this is out of 2nd Chronicles 17 verse 3 to 6 I mean, I think most of us would be happy if this was said of us. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, the idols, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. So you you can see that the northern kingdom of Israel is getting it all wrong. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. Listen to this. Man, if this could be said of you and I, we'd be doing well. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. So he's a gutsy, gutsy guy. And then you move on a little bit further in Second Chronicles 17 verse 10. It says, And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. So God's doing some really cool things through this king. There's peace in the place. Why? Because God's bringing this supernatural peace in the place. He's courageous in the ways of the Lord. Yet, what do we find? Well, what we find is that some men come and tell him that there's some people that are going to come and make war against him and his his instinctive response almost is, I'm afraid. And you know what that tells you? Is you can be the most courageous man or woman of God and things are going to happen in your life and you're just going to be afraid. And I think if you read this stuff about King Jehoshaphat here, you just realize that this guy is an amazing man. He had an amazing father. He's part of a very small, at that point in time, but part of an amazing um, royal dynasty in the country. And what happens is a force comes up against him and he becomes afraid. And that ought to tell all of us i think here that you can be the best of the best you can be the most bold the most strong person and things can come against you that make you afraid and that fear is a common human experience if you go back to second Chronicles 17 you can number jehoshaphat's troops now not taking into account his soldiers that he had in fortified cities jehoshaphat had an army of 1.16 million soldiers That's a big army in the day. That's a big army. But you know what actually has happened here is clearly a bigger army has come against him. There's a unity between some countries and they're coming to take him out. But the really interesting thing about Jehoshaphat is at that point in time when he's afraid and when fear kind of hits him, he doesn't give in. You remember that scripture we just read before that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Well, that doesn't change for Jehoshaphat. He goes on seeking the Lord. And I want to suggest to you this. Fear can do strange things to brave people. Have you ever noticed that? It can do strange things to brave people. And what we see in Second Chronicles 20 is what happens when a courageous man in the Lord faces a big problem. And the bottom line is, folks, there's lots of things that can hurt us, aren't there? I mean, we've just seen in the last week... Uh, maybe not literally, but we've just seen an American Journal get beheaded on camera. I mean, it's a dangerous world. There's lots of things that can hurt you. I mean, when I was over in America at Philadelphia, um, I mean, they just have got this impression that you could just get killed at any moment in Australia. <laughs> All right? Because you just talk about the fact that we've got like most of the top 10 venomous snakes live in australia it's like i'm going to walk out my door and i'm going to get killed and then i tell them yeah we had a brown snake at our front door And this ca- are you kidding it's like the most venomous <laughs> one in the world you know I, I mean there's lots of things in the world to be afraid of isn't there we can be afraid of uh being alone of falling out with a friend of no one talking to you of moving home of loss of a family member of parents splitting up we can be afraid of uh, family arguing and serious illness you can be afraid of your appearance sometimes You can be afraid of money or the lack of money. You can can be afraid of not knowing what to do in an emergency or forgetting someone's name, that's one of my big ones, (laughs) of losing things. Uh, You can be afraid of a new school or a situation. You can be afraid of having to talk in front of people. You can be afraid of not having the right clothes or not being able to do your work or being blamed for something that you didn't do. You can be afraid of breaking something. You can be afraid of having to ask for help. You can be afraid of forgetting things. You can be afraid of people making fun of you. You can be afraid of people fighting. You can be afraid of looking silly in front of people. You can be afraid of not being liked. You can be afraid of making new friends. True? Now, I was talking with Andrew this morning and I, I said, do you think that you've got a, an issue with fear? You know, and probably if I asked you that, probably there's a whole bunch of you just go, well, I don't think I do. But if for the purposes of this message this morning I said to you that anxiety and fear are pretty close to being the same thing and I asked you, do you have an issue with anxiety? Well, you probably do. You probably do have an issue with fear and anxiety. You see, it's a real issue. And I actually think if you look deep down in your life, I think you might be surprised by how much of your life is driven by fear. Now... You might be able to identify some of it. And I remember talking to a guy, one of the dads at rugby a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said, look, I'm not afraid of death. You know? And he's standing there, and he's, oh, he's kind of trying to say, oh, I thought I'm not afraid of anything. And I'm just going, really? I'd like to just have, you know, and if you're sitting there today and you're going, I don't, I don't have a problem with fear. I'd, part of me just goes, oh, well, just let's sit down for 30 minutes because I reckon I could find some. <laughs> All right because it 's present in my life, and I think Jehoshaphat, the story of jehoshaphat is saying it 's look he 's a good man he 's a good man, and it hits him, and there 's an issue with it, all right because fear isn 't just about the way that uh, you process things that go on with you it 's about things that come at you. now, if you ask jehoshaphat you say you 've got an army of one point one six million, are you a man of fear and it, maybe i mean i don 't know what he 'd say maybe he 'd say initially you might go well, i don 't think i 'm a really fearful person." The scripture say he's really courageous, but things come at you and things affect you and can make you a person who's a fearful person. And it's this week that I've actually, I was talking with someone this week and you know what they said to me, they were quite a fearful person and this, listen to this, this is what they said to me, as they reflected more and more upon themselves personally, they said this, they said, you know what, I actually think I'm fearful of being fearful. And I thought, I think that's true too. I mean, if you look around at people um, who are really bold and really strong and really courageous, it would be interesting to know how many of those are doing that so that they're not in a fearful state, so they don't get stuck in a fearful state. I uh, was talking to my sons about this the other night. It was a really touching moment because um, work- I think I'd, I'd been working on the message from memory and I just wanted to ask them about it. Um, they said, oh, we don't want you to read from the special book. Can you just tell us a story? So I thought, oh, I'll tell you the story of Jehoshaphat. All right, that's why it was so funny. <laughs> so he sat there and at the end, I'd, I'd normally pray for him. I said to him, I'd, I'd like to pray for you blokes. I said, what do you guys get scared of? What makes you scared? And one of them said to me, uh, and then he prayed about it. He uh, he said he gets scared of going on rides at Movie World that are high. Alright, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And you know, he he prayed for that and he said, God, I'd like to go on the rides and not be scared. Alright, but there was part of me I thought, well, that might be dysfunctional. If you go on something that's scary and it's not scary, it might be a bit dysfunctional <laughs> in some way. And I'm, some of you are going, well, that's me. All right? And I'm not saying you're dysfunctional, but... If you get to the point where you're never scared by scary things, there might be a bit of a problem here. That's really what I'm saying. Is everyone okay with that? I'll close my eyes and if you want to walk out now, you can. But the other one was really interesting, right? Uh, The other son in this room, you know what he said? He goes, you know what I get scared of? I get scared of walking into a dark room because I think there's going to be something in there that's going to hurt me. Yeah, I think that's really profound because I think that actually describes fear in general isn't it it's like there's lots of dark rooms that we have to go into and we just go i don't know what's going to happen when i get into that dark room what's going to happen and the classic thing that parents do right and it totally writes off their wisdom in the eyes of the children a lot of the time i think is parents go oh there's nothing to be afraid of and i mean i think the kids are smart enough they just go well you don't know what's in the dark room (laughs) true And it's like, sometimes our advice is like, forget it. There's nothing scary in there. I remember as a kid being really afraid of of what's in the dark, you know. And just, I was scared of the dark. And you know, the really cool thing, and this is what I prayed for my son. The really cool thing is not that there isn't anything dangerous in the dark. And I'm, I don't go telling my kids this, but you know what? When the house is dark and I'm walking into it and I've just come home, you know, I don't know that there there might be something in there that's going to hurt us. And that's not the greatest comfort for my kids. The greatest comfort for my kids is that in the dark room exists God and he sees and he knows everything and he's caring and he's loving. That's, that's where the hope is. It's not that there's no danger in there because I can't guarantee that. And I think our kids know sometimes that we can't guarantee it. But there's a sense in which fear wants to dominate. Fear gets big... And it becomes very dominant upon us. And one of the ways we try to deal with it is to rationalize it instead of bringing it into the context of the Latin phrase we use here at the Project Corum Deo, living before the face of God. You see, the rationalizing thing about the dark room is to say there's nothing in there that's going to hurt you. Bring it into the context of your relationship with God and in the context of the reality of God says God's already in there. And he promises that everything will be good. Does he promise that everything is always going to go the way that you want it to go? No. Does he promise it will always end up well? Yes, he does. Fear isolates people and it warps our view of God, but not Jehoshaphat. And so I think we can learn from a man who dealt with fear. So the first one, um, fear is part of the human condition. It's a normal part um, of life. Second one is this. I was going to skip this. Fear is truncated by prayer. Now, I'm a, by training, I'm a manual arts teacher, all right? And I teach graphics. Or I used to teach graphics. When you do graphics, seriously, anyone who's ever done graphics knows about half of what you do in graphics is about truncations, all right? It's about shapes and things that get pieces cut off them and what the shape looks like when you've got pieces cut off it and all that sort of stuff. So if you go into a shop, Uh, where there's a, a ducted air conditioning system and you can see the pipes in the ceiling that's what it's all about it's all about truncated shapes and what shape do you need to get to make these two things match up does anyone know what i'm talking about yeah it's all it's all about truncations now here's the thing do i think it's actually possible to completely get rid of fear in this life no it's well do you think what do you think you can't right so here's the thing you know what a truncation is is it's like In graphics, you've got a square-based pyramid, and you truncate it means you cut the top off it. (laughs) And I think fear's got this mechanism that it's like a snowball, and it just wants to get bigger and bigger and bigger and become more and more and more dominating, and it needs to get truncated. That's what needs to happen. And that's what I think um, Jehoshaphat's doing. Does he still have a massive problem? Yeah, he does, right? Because there's this massive army that's coming against his nation. But what he actually does next is he truncates the fear, all right? And truncating the fear, in his case, cuts it down to the right size because fear always wants to get bigger than what it really is. Check this out, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3 to 6 and 13. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and what did he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, and he prays, and we're going to get to that prayer in a minute. "O, O Lord God of our fathers. And then in verse 13, it says, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Now there's something when i read this and i was working on this this week i thought this is really fascinating do you know why because if you look at the physiological response to anxiety what happens to your body some of you would know this what happens to your body when you're anxious about something and there's a threat anyone know yeah it goes into hyperdrive right so it's all about your biology actually kicks in and it starts firing you up getting ready for action to actually face a threat Now, the fascinating thing about this is Jehoshaphat does exactly the opposite to what people's bodies probably were doing and what the nation as a whole was feeling like they needed to do. It was like you can kind of spin up. Your body can spin up. They were probably starting to spin up and get ready to fight this threat. And what does Jehoshaphat say to do? Stop. Everyone, stop. We're going to seek God. And if you have a look up there in that scripture there, in the first uh, sentence there, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a what? A fast, right? Do you see that? Look, I find this really, really fascinating because he's not just saying everyone stop, we're going to pray and we're going to seek God, but he's gonna, he's saying stop eating too. And let's get really serious about this. Now... Anyone who's ever been in a tiz from anxiety, which I'm assuming is probably most of us, knows that that's probably the most important thing when you start getting out of control is you just need to find some way to stop. It's like you're on a merry-go-round and the fuse box has just gone nuts and the thing's spun up so fast, you now you can't get off. All right. And I think there's a lot going on here for Jehoshaphat. He's just saying, look, we've got a big problem and this is going to spin out of control. We all just need to stop right now. And who knows how long they actually stopped for, but it appears they stopped for a long time and there was a lot of people who stopped. And you know what he's saying? He's saying it's out of our control and we need to seek the one who is never out of control. All right? The God who's never out of control, he's the one who we need to seek. He didn't, at the start here, seek to find some way or some strategy to influence the outcome. Do you notice that? And that's what tends to happen for us a lot of the time: is we get up in a, in a bit of a tears, and there's a fear thing, and there's uh, some real anxiety, and we just and we start furiously in our heads, starting to go through all these things that I can run through to try and alleviate the danger that looks like it's coming my way. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And it's like you kind of get there's something that's out of your control but you get this instinct where you just go I've just got to get more control over this thing I've got to find a way to mitigate the fear and the danger that's heading in my direction but he doesn't do this now most of you heard me talk about this last year in the anxiety series last year do you know one of the main ways that they talk about at the moment in uh, counselling and psychology to actually deal with people with anxiety disorders is, is mindfulness. And you know what mindfulness is? It's stop without any content, really. Now, Jehoshaphat does stop, but he does it with content, right? His hope is not actually just in getting his head under control in terms of his thinking, In fact, I don't think it's really in that at all. His hope is we need to stop and we need to seek God. He's our hope in this moment. He didn't seek a way to influence the outcome. And this is counterintuitive to someone who's anxious. And the chances are that some of you might be anxious and fearful today about something. And the thought of stopping doesn't make sense something needs to be done about it something needs to be done about the danger but that's the way that God does it so let me give you a few options in the midst of your fear let me give you some options bit of alliteration here you can turn to prayer or despair that's pretty much your options Prayer or despair? Now You might go, well, maybe there's something I can do about it. Well, you know what? When you face something that's bigger than you that you can't control and you, and you end up in a place of anxiety and you try to c- control that even more, you probably learn that you're less in control than what you thought you were a lot of the time. Let me give you another option when you're in the midst of fear. You can trust in yourself or some created thing or turn to God and trust in Him. I want to show you a clip out of uh, the um, Chronicles of Narnia from uh, Prince Caspian. It's a a clip in a cave kind of thing that they're in. They're in trouble, there's an army that's coming up against them. They've got to work out what to do. And you can see, as this clip goes through, that there's the option of working with Aslan or trying to work something out themselves. Um, Here it is. You must know what he's doing. I think it's up to us now. matter of time. Mraz's men and war machines are on their way. That means those same men aren't protecting his castle. What do you propose we do, Your Majesty? We need to get ready for for it. Our only hope is to strike them before they strike us. But that's crazy. No one has ever taken that castle. There's always a first time. We'll have the element of surprise. But we have the advantage here. If we dig in, we could probably hold them off indefinitely. I, for one, feel safer underground. Look, I appreciate what you've done here, but this isn't a fortress. It's a tomb. Yes, and if they're smart, the Telmarines will just wait and starve us out. We could collect nuts. Yes, and throw them at the Telmarines. Shut up. I think you know where I stand, sire. If I get your troops in, can you handle the guards? Or die trying by leash. That's what I'm worried about. Sorry? Well, you're acting like there's only two options. Dying here, or dying there. I'm not sure you've really been listening, Lou. No, you're not listening. Or have you forgotten who really defeated the White Witch, Peter? I think we've waited for Arslan long enough. It's pretty insightful words there. I mean, I, I think that's probably a bit of a um, microcosm of what happens for a lot of us when it comes to things that we get anxious and fearful about. I love that line that Peter says there. He says, I think it's up to us now. I think that is a massive pitfall i guess of handling anxiety and handling fear So i actually think for a lot of us that's actually what happens on the inside when we face something fearful and we don't turn to god and we don't turn to prayer and trust in him that's kind of what we're thinking and it's almost a subconscious thing a lot of the time it's like i've got to do this and so i think there's there can become this quite uh unique distinction between um someone who prays and someone who endures in fear and i just want to point some of these out because i I think it's it's a pretty important mechanism to to notice um in humanity here's the first one prayer says god is with me fear says i'm on my own now i I think you'd find i'm going to run through this stuff and you probably go oh yeah okay that's nice I actually think if you dig down enough and you're reflective enough in a fearful moment when you're not going to God, you know one of the thinking, the things you're thinking is probably either he's not going to do what I want him to do or he doesn't care about me or he loves me but he just doesn't, for whatever reason, he just doesn't want to help me. And there's that instinct that can go on inside, that response inside where you just go, I've got to do it. I've got to look after it because he's not going to. And there's a real kind of isolation uh, that kind of takes place in the midst of fear. The second thing is this. When you pray, when you're in the midst of fear and anxiety, uh, what it really says is that God promises he will help me. When you're in fear and you don't pray, it's kind of saying, God won't do anything to help me. Yeah, some of you go, no, I know the Bible. I know the Bible says that he will. But we don't always live functionally in line with what the Bible says, true? And we can get stuck in stuff and you can actually believe like uh, you could come up to me at the end and you could quote all the scriptures in the Bible about how God's in control. And I bet you if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you're just not going to be living by that all the time. There's going to be moments where you just go, well, he's not doing anything or he's not doing what I want him to do and I hate this and this is out of control and I'm freaking out about this so I'm going to do what I can to actually organize something to mitigate against this danger that's out there. And the third one's this. Prayer says God is in control of what I can't control. Fear says I need to try and control what is outside of my control. Now, that last one there, I mean, you read it and you just go... Well, that's just stupid. Like if it's outside your control, how are you going to control it? But the reality is when we get in the midst of anxiety and fear, that happens a lot of the time, doesn't it? It's like this thing's out of my control and I don't like what might happen here, but I'm going to do everything I can to get it under my control. And it's almost like the tighter we try to grip it, the more difficult it is and the more out of control it actually gets. A commentator on Chronicles made this uh, really insightful comment. He said the chronicler's aim is to show how faith in God is always productive even in the most oppressive circumstances. He's making this statement across the whole of the book of Chronicles saying, look, he wants you to know that even when it's really dark and it looks like nothing good can come out of it, that the best option for you at that point in time is to trust in God. That is your best option. So we've looked at the fact that fear... Is a common human experience. We've looked at the fact that prayer truncates fear. And the last thing I want to look at is the kind of prayer that truncates fear. So let's have a look at Jehoshaphat's prayer again. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand of power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? I'm going to give you four points about how to pray when you're afraid and I think these come out of Jehoshaphat. First one's this, reframe the danger inside the character of God. Do you see what Jehoshaphat's doing here? He's going, this is a big problem for us. But are you not God in heaven? Aren't you bigger than this mob that have come to take us out? You rule over everyone. And this is a really common theme through the, uh, the book of Chronicles where uh, th- this notion of God's sovereignty, that he's in charge and that he's good. And the first thing Je- that Jehoshaphat does is he goes, right, we've got to reframe this. You're in control. You're in charge. You're ruler. You're stronger than the greatest trouble that could happen to me. Is everyone with me on that? It's what you need to do. And I'd suggest to you that maybe if you're someone who struggles with fear and anxiety, you could follow what Joseph had does. He gives four really good pointers. The first one is reframe the danger inside the character of God. The second thing he does is this. Pray the promises of God. Now have a look at 2 Chronicles 20 verse 8 to 9. They have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. This is God's people, the Jews, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. This is taken out of the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Now, there's a really interesting kind of theme that runs through Uh, the Old Testament, uh, in terms of Israel. And it's this notion that if the people of Israel turn back to God, he will come and save them. Even if they're in a dodgy place, in an afflicted place, in a dangerous place, he is going to come back and he is going to save them. So the first thing Jehoshaphat does is he says, the threat feels sovereign, but God's sovereign. The threat might take, a divine, take on a divine authority in your life, but God is the one who has divine authority. And you need to remind yourself who God is. The second thing is remind yourself about what God has promised to do, how he has promised to act. So an example of this. I mean, you you can look through. Honestly, I was reading through some of the Psalms the other day. You can just see this in the Psalms. This is what the psalmist does all the time, is he's kind of reminding himself about what God's promised to do and how God has promised to care. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, Probably everyone in the last week has been tempted. Now you could be anxious and fearful about giving in and blowing it. And one of the things that you could do if you followed the first two steps of Jehoshaphat is you sit down and you just go, God, this is a strong temptation, whatever it is. It's a strong temptation. You could sit down and you go, you're stronger than that. And you know what the next thing you're going to do? Is you'll say, You promise help. You promise a way out. And so you could pray, God, you're sovereign, you're in charge, and you promise help for people who are tempted. Reframe the threat in the context of God's greatness and the sovereignty of God. Second thing, pray the promises of God because God does not work, withhold any good thing from those that follow him. Is that true? Is that true? Third one, reframe your need inside the reality of your powerlessness. Listen to uh, Jehoshaphat. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Listen, you can't do anything anyway. (laughs) In fact, you couldn't even get here today unless God's good grace, common grace was given to you. So if you're a Christian here today, the fact that you live and that you breathe and you're still alive and you're not racked with pain and on a morphine drip right now, and, and some people are, but the fact that you're not in that place right now is God's common grace toward you. Jesus said, God sends his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. If, if you're not a Christian here today, you experience God's common grace and his goodness to you all the time. He just hands it out. Like, (laughs) you never were powerful. And I don't mean to be rude to you, but like, who the heck are you to think that you could be able to handle anything? I mean, Jesus said in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So it kind of, it's it's really, it's almost really irrational when you get in a fear thing and an anxiety thing, you just go, I've got to do something about it. Because you're not going to do anything about it unless he actually helps you to do something about it. You need to reframe your need inside the reality of your powerlessness. And then the last thing that Jehoshaphat does is he places all his hope in God. You would do well to memorize this scripture. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Yeah? Yeah? That would be a good one to say. I mean, if, if uh, people in the project who follow Jesus said that a bit more often, to themselves probably, that would be good, wouldn't it? It's like, I don't know what to do. I mean, people come up to me sometimes in the, in the project and they ask me things about what we should do about things and I just go, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> now, I've got a few ideas and I may, may have accumulated a bit of wisdom over the years, but you know what? At the end of the day, I don't know what to do to bring it to a good Result, God's the one who actually knows. Now, notice one more thing about this statement. What kind of tense is that statement? It's present tense, but it's a continuous present tense. Do you notice that? It's like, he's not just saying, for these five minutes, we're putting our hope in you. He's going, in an ongoing present tense sense, we're going to keep putting our hope in you. And it's out of God's goodness and out of his grace that he will come and he'll help you. Now, I spent a time this week, I spent a little bit of time this week, and I just thought, I wonder if we can see this pattern of praying anywhere else. And you know what's fascinating about it? And it's not a completely neat fit because there's a little bit of, A few minor kind of differences but do you know what jesus is really close to praying this kind of pattern in the garden of gethsemane so if you look at mark 14 verse 36 what you actually see in that verse is that jesus reframes the danger and the threat in the context of god's sovereignty listen to this he says abba father all things are possible for you you hear that So he's got this scene that's massive that's coming. The next day, I think it is, he's going to get crucified. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be incredibly difficult. And Jesus, at the start, it appears, or somewhere in his prayer in Gethsemane, he says, all things are possible for you. This is not bigger than you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, he actually knew that his father was able to do something about it. Now, he didn't do something about it because that was part of God's will, but he could have done something about it. And then you actually see that Jesus probably at some level was praying God's promises of care toward him. There's a beautiful scripture in uh, Luke 22 verse 43, which says this, and there appeared as he was praying, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Now, we don't have all the details about what that prayer was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Clearly, it was a long one because the disciples kept falling asleep. All right. But it's probably a fair thing to say that he was plunging into prayer with his father to receive the help and the support that the father has always given, has always promised to his son. And you can see maybe that maybe in Luke 22 verse 43 that there's an angel showing up and the angel's on an errand from God to provide the support that God the Father had always promised and given to his Son. And then what you actually see is you see Jesus reframing his need inside submission to his Father. So like Jehoshaphat kind of poured out their need to God Uh, Jesus pours out his need to God, his Father, but he actually submits to his Father's will. And then the last one which which we just looked at, place all your hope in God. Luke 22 verse 42 says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see that? His hope is actually in in his dad. Now the difference here is that Jehoshaphat's got a big army coming against him and we don't know what God's plan is going to be. The difference here is that Jesus goes in and he knows what God's plan is and he's, uh, he's praying it through. Does anyone know how the story ends with Jehoshaphat? <laughs> God tells him to go out and he says, you're not even going to have to do anything. I'm going to beat them all for you. All right. And that's pretty much literally what happens. The army goes out And God whacks them all before the army really gets to them. I mean, they do a bit of mopping up, it appears, but he basically whacks them all. And they kind of show up. It actually says it took three days to carry the loot back from the army. So they're just going backwards and forwards from the dead guys, stealing their wallets and stuff. (laughs) Sounds bad, doesn't it? But that's kind of what it is, stealing their wallets and taking their stuff back to the city. It's an amazing, amazing story, not so much because of the ending, but because of Jehoshaphat and the nation having to exist in the midst of not knowing how it was going to go. It could have been that the other army attacked them and a whole bunch of them got killed. And I think this prayer works. I think it works whatever the outcome, because you can see in Jesus, you know what, in in Christ, did he get the outcome that he immediately wanted? No, he didn't. We don't set people memory verses, but if I did, I would give you this one to memorise for next week and not let you in until you can recite it. No, I wouldn't do that. Isn't this beautiful? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. What I want to do is I'm just going to pray. And what I'd love you to do is if you're someone, and right at the moment, you know that you've got some fear stuff going on, some anxiety stuff going on. Um, What I'd love to do is I'm I'm not actually, I I will end up praying for you a bit, but I actually want to lead you in prayer for yourself, if that makes sense. Uh, Through a kind of Jehoshaphat kind of prayer. So it might be difficult for you to do this, but... um, i love it if you just stand with me. If you're just in a place at the moment where you just know that fear and anxiety is a bit of an issue for you, why don't you stand with me? And uh, we're just going to pray. It's going to make your fear and anxiety worse, isn't it? Because everyone's going to see you. Why don't you close your eyes with me so you can focus. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just to say a, say a few little prayers in your heart to God. You can say, I guess you can say it out loud if you want to. Uh, and I'll give you the categories as we go through and you can, uh, you can pray that to God. First thing is this. Why don't you offer a prayer to God about your particular situation that you're anxious and fearful about and reframe it in God's sovereignty because he's big. He actually is bigger than what you're struggling with. He's bigger than the danger that exists that could hurt you. And you need to put it in the context of the fact that he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's loving. So I'll give you 30 seconds. Just whisper a prayer to him now. So God, I'll just pray on behalf of all of us in this little section. You are are big and you are strong and nothing's stronger than you and you're close and you're loving and you're helpful. So God, I pray for everyone, whatever prayer they just lifted up to you about the thing that they're afraid of, the thing that's, ma- that's causing anxiety. God, I pray that you just help them to know that you're bigger, you're grander, you're more amazing. You're far more intimidating to bad things than this bad thing is to them. Second section. Just with your eyes closed here, just, uh, just meditate for a moment. Just think about this. Think about what help does God promise you? How has he in the past helped you? What goodness has he brought to you? What grace has he extended toward you? Then as you think about that, why don't you pray? If you can think of a scripture to pray. Pray a promise that no good thing does God withhold. No one who trusts in you shall be put to shame. No temptation will overcome you without you, God, providing a way out for us and a help for it. So take a half a minute now. Meditate on his promises and and pray the promises in your particular situation. Father your word says that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness so God I pray for everyone who just prayed then about your promises for them and I pray that you just help them to plunder the treasury get into the treasury room of promises of yours and just keep praying them and seeking you for your fulfillment of them third thing out of Jehoshaphat's prayer is to reframe your need inside the reality of your powerlessness this is your opportunity to say to God we're powerless I'm powerless against this threat I can do nothing outside of you why don't you pray that to him now just tell him that you can't do anything and that you're powerless and you desperately need his engagement The fourth section is to place all of your hope in God. Remove hope in self. Remove in a sense help hope in supports around you. And I'd probably a really good thing to praise is exactly what Jehoshaphat prayed. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you.